Good morning. How's everyone? Good. Praise God. My name's Eric. If you don't know me, uh, we'd love to answer any questions, help you connect to our church. Uh, out in the courtyard, there's a welcome center where we can give you uh, literature about our church, answer questions, help get you connected. Um, just two quick announcements. One, after this service, there will be a church family business meeting. Uh, we're going to vote on the reaffirmation of Joel Appleton for elder and on the pastoral office of family pastor for Chris Moore. And so we invite you to do that. We will have food. And so uh, just if you can make it, we'd love for you to participate in that. Second thing, if you guys notice, there's maybe lots of new faces in here or faces you don't know. Um, if, if not, I encourage you to meet some people. Uh, but a couple questions have come up consistently, and it's how do I give at LBC? And so I think sometimes we forget to tell people there's offering boxes in the back. I don't know if you guys see it on that wall. You're right there, you can put an envelope or something. Um, and then it's also online, or you can do it through the app. Um, it's something at LBC, we, we don't try to hammer people about it. It's between you and the Lord. Um, God does command it uh, to do it joyfully, and it helps carry out the gospel continuing in our town and the towns around us and all around the world. And so uh, just sometimes we forget, man, people don't know where everything is. So that hopefully will help you get acclimated with our church, and we're thankful for the generosity in this church and we're going to continue now in Matthew chapter 10. So this is one of those passages. I think it's, it's an important passage. Um, but I also, I understand sometimes you come to church and you want to maybe leave your spouse or you hate your kids or you're still angry at your parents or your job's got you so depressed or you just got a diagnosis that's wrecking your heart and you're desperately looking for some type of imperative from the text to speak to your current situation. Um, this is one of those passages that's it's not going to have an imperative to hang your hat on. Um, but, but, here's the but. All scripture is God-breathed, profitable and good and useful. And so what hopefully you're going to see is the same problems that existed in their context and exist in ours. And that the same solution that's given to them is also given to us. And so just before we walk into Matthew chapter 10, I just want you to think about what they're going through and what we're going through and why it's so impertinent, pertinent and important uh, for this text. You see, I, I think we're fully aware that America is in a chaotic state, um, that the schools are under attack, that the economy is bouncing around, that there's world wars, and there, there's all kinds of things that are very, very hard. But I want you to keep in mind, if you're a Jew, in this text, you're under Roman rule. You have Emperor Tiberius kind of locking down your land, telling you what you can do, what you can't do. They're taxing their money. They're bringing in foreign gods and worshiping them, desecrating their God, the true God. They're bringing entertainment like plays and theater uh, and then children are being flocked to to watch and taught ungodly and unwholesome things. Uh, these kind of Jewish farmers, kids in rural areas being brought into big cities and taught crazy things. And so you have a, a Jewish people that are in angst, that are in fear, that are angry, and are mad. And I want us to notice how does Jesus approach that situation? because how they approach it is exactly how we need to approach it as well. So I'm gonna pray, and then we're gonna walk right into our text. Dear Jesus, we thank you so much that you love us. 
And we're, we're thankful for this text, Matthew chapter 10. Um, it's my prayer that you would help us uh, trust you, help us love you, help us uh, see what you taught then is still what we need now. And so we just pray that you would speak to our hearts, that you would uh, encourage us, you would help us understand all that is in the text. And I just pray that we would love you more. We'd want to know more about you. We'd be encouraged that you would uh, help us leave better than we came, at least encouraged and at peace, uh, trusting, full of hope, who you are and what you've done. So we pray for your words and not mine. Uh, in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Okay, so we're going to look at three elements uh, of how God redeems his children. And then the reason that's important is you see this, uh, you see this chasm here in the text. I want you to see he sends them to Israel, right? He's very specific. I want you to walk around Israel. Don't go to the Samaritans. Don't go to the Gentiles. I want you to start here in your own backyard. Why is that? Okay, because the first plan God kind of used, or first means, is God communicates through his word. And what had happened is God had said from the beginning, this is the plan. There's sinful people. You've sinned against me. You can't be in relationship with me. But here's how I'm going to redeem humanity, how I'm going to save my children. And so as you look through the Old Testament, you're going to see that Israel is given the words of God. They're spoken the word of God to them. And then you look like Ezekiel 34, Jeremiah 23, is that the shepherd stopped teaching the people the word of God. And this is why he uses the phrase, gather the lost sheep. See, the shepherds that God had put in place stopped teaching them the word of God. And what they started doing was they started writing commentaries on God's law. And then they wrote commentaries on those commentaries and commentaries on those commentaries. And they essentially kind of built their own religion. And what moved from fasting once a year on the Day of Atonement turned into fasting once a month, once a week, two times a week, three times a week. And they kind of created their own religion, their own superiority, and then they would beat other people with it. And so they're lost. They're lost sheep. It's fully departed from what God actually told them. You see, we have the same problem. This is where it's important for us to see how these parallel, but we do it in the opposite way. See, we take away from the word of God and take away and take away and take away and take away. See, we, we look at marriage and say, God doesn't care as long as you're happy. God doesn't care about gender as long as you're happy. God doesn't care about your money. He doesn't care about what you watch. He doesn't care about what comes out of your mouth as long as you're happy. See, we reduce the scriptures to God is just love, which he's called holy far more than he's called love. But anyway, it's the same problem. They're adding to the law. We're taking away from the law. And the solution for both problems is to go back to the word of God. It was God's original intent to direct his people through his words. And so it's important. We see Jesus is bringing them back to the beginning, back to the beginning that this is the plan and I want you to notice, he doesn't send them out to overthrow Tiberius. He doesn't send them out to overthrow Pontius Pilate. He doesn't send them out to crush the tax collectors. He sends them out to share, verse 7, the good news, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And so what is true for them is true for us. If there was anyone ever who wanted political change, it's absolutely the Jews in this context. And they're angry. And why are they angry? Because they don't remember the words of God. 
the shepherd stopped teaching. And so for us moving forward, it's so important that we know the words of God so that we're not pulled in bad directions. We're not Ephesians tossed to and fro by the waves or Colossians, that we're able to stand firm. So we're going to look, what, how is this story unfolding? And how, what is Jesus doing with them? Because what he does with them is the exact same thing we're going to see needs to be done with us. Okay. So to understand lost sheep, house of Israel, kingdom of heaven, go to the Jews first. How does all of this make sense? It starts in Genesis chapter 3. Okay, so we have a fallen humanity. Adam and Eve have sinned. They've broken the relationship with God. And God speaks to Satan and he speaks to them. And he says, okay, this is what's going to happen. Genesis chapter 3.15. I will put enmity between you and the woman. It's going to be a war. And between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. From that moment on, the Jews are looking for the one who will crush the snake of the head. They're looking for victory and defeat over the snake, over the serpent, over Satan. And so you have to think in their mind, that's their first glimpse through words they're given of what God's going to do. How is he going to restore humanity? Through the seed of the woman, Jesus, crushing the snake, Satan. Okay? The next glimpse we get into is Genesis chapter 12, the calling of Abraham. Abraham is told, now, how are we going to crush the snake? How is this all going to happen? See the woman? Abraham, Genesis 12. Now the Lord said to Abram, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you, and I will make of you a great nation. So here's where you get the idea of a nation, right? And I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing, Verse three, I will bless those who bless you and him who dishonors you, I will curse and in all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Okay, I want you to notice just a little bit of parallelism here. What does Jesus tell the disciples? The ones who receive you, I will bless and the ones who reject you, I will curse, I will judge. Okay, you're seeing the, the culmination now of this starting to come together. The problem is, we, we misread what happens here. We, there's people in the church, they read Genesis chapter 12, and they think that the great nation and the blessing is to give t-shirts and, and, and hugs and, you know, and food and shelter, that that is the blessing. That's what the church is supposed to do. And they'll look at this text and be like, see, they're going to heal and they're to um, help people. No, they're to share. The kingdom of heaven is here. See, the blessing isn't material goods. Those are good. Remember, Jesus early on was very clear. What's greater? Get up and walk or your sins are committed. What does Jesus say is greater? Your sins are committed. It doesn't mean that it's not amazing and awesome that you can walk or you can see or you can hear. But the blessing, that's not the real blessing. The blessing is Christ crucified. Jesus will be the payment for your sin. Like That's a stretch, Eric. No, it's not. Let's go to Galatians chapter 3. Look at verse 8. I want you to see this because this is important. This is what we're to do because we're continuing what God said from the very beginning. This is what Israel was supposed to do. The nation was Israel through Abraham. Here's what it says. And the scriptures foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith. So the Gentiles have always been a part of the plan. Always, but it was supposed to be through Israel. They were to be a light. 
Read Isaiah 49, 6, right? Be a light to the nations, okay? Preach the gospel beforehand to Abraham. So Abraham knows the gospel, what? That God will provide the sacrifice. Think of Isaac and think of the altar. Um, Side note, if you ever watched that movie with your kids, remind them you're not gonna put them on the altar and sacrifice them like Abraham. I had a kid of mine who took that a little too serious. Anyway, so side note. But you remember the scene now, right? It's in your head. What does God say? I will provide the sacrifice. What does John the Baptist say when he first sees Jesus? Behold the lamb, the one to take away the sins of the world. See, Abraham knew God would have to provide the sacrifice. He was told the gospel, Christ paying for our sins on our behalf. Next part of the verse, saying, in you shall all the nations be blessed. What's the blessing? The gospel that the good news would come out, that humanity is broken before God, unable to be in a relationship with God. And Jesus is the only way for that restoration to happen. Jesus is the only way to heaven. Jesus is the only way to God. Jesus is the only way to reconcile your sin, have it paid for. Okay, so this is the beginning of these truths. Israel was to go out and to be a light. But along the way, the shepherds stopped teaching the word of God. And they started teaching their own visions and their own thoughts and their own passions. Read Jeremiah 23, read Ezekiel 34. It's detailed. We don't have time to walk through those chapters. And so he's coming back saying, we need to go to the lost sheep because Jesus is standing right in front of them and they have no clue. He is the king, but also the savior of the Old Testament. And that he's there to take away the sins of the world. And that's a greater calling greater work than what you see down here in verse 15, the judgment. That will come at the end. He's saying he will judge all nations. He will judge all sin. But he's here now to be the payment and to send us out to bless the nations with that. Now, by doing that, he's not ignoring other parts of the Old Testament that tell us that Jesus is said to be an actual king, that he will rule and he will reign and he will sit on David's throne. And so we understand that those truths are there. 2 Samuel 7, Isaiah 9, Isaiah 11, right? This is important because these are the words of God. God tells us this is how he's gonna work his plan. He's gonna work it through Israel. And Israel took God communicating to them to be like they were special, they were different. This is why Deuteronomy 4 is so important. God says, I didn't pick you because you were great and mighty. I picked you because you were small. And and that he's going to do the work through them. And so they take this, we have the words of God. And then they create more and more and more laws to be superior over other people. So this is why this is important for us. We live in a day and time where you see Christians making up rules and beating people with it, calling themselves more holy. Think about it this way. There is a difference between saying, I will not shop here and I'm better than you because I don't shop there. Do you see the difference? There's a difference between saying, I'm going to homeschool my kid. I'm going to put my kid in public school. You both have to disciple your kid either way or online school or private school or hybrid school, all the schools, right? All of them. No matter what school it is, you have to disciple your kid. You have to teach them Deuteronomy 6. Teach them the ways of the Lord. 
But what we turn it into is, I'm more spiritual than you, I'm better than you. I'm smarter than you, I love Christ more than you. That's not in the scriptures. This is what the Pharisees are doing. And Jesus is taking away that ammunition. This is why it's so important you understand. He says, I came to heal the sick, not the well. See, the people who are sick are going to be the ones who open their door to the apostles. And they're going to welcome them in and say, I'm sick. I need healing. And they're going to tell them about Christ, the good news. The kingdom of heaven is here. He's here to take away the sins of the world. You see, and then the ones who shut the door You'll be like, no, 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 I fast three times a week. I don't shop there. I have my kids in this school. I don't listen to that music. I don't watch that. Look, I'm fine. I don't need Christ. Jesus is drawing them back to the Old Testament. He will provide the sacrifice because we're an insufficient sacrifice. See, they have the law, but they don't understand the law. The law was given so they could see, I could never earn my way to heaven. I can never earn. I can never be good enough. I can never follow all of the rules perfectly. So that when Jesus comes on the scene, the only one who kind of really gets it is John the Baptist. The lamb is here. The once for all payment of sin. See, the word of God was there to comfort them. But if you're not reading the word of God, you can't be comforted by the word of God. So he's drawing them back to the very beginning. To the nations. Jesus, the payment for sin, the Savior, the King, all one man on our behalf. See, the, the other part of the law is it's so detailed and so specific that we would understand that God is utterly holy. He is set apart. This is why he's trying to teach Israel. He's not saying bacon is evil. Love bacon, right? He's saying you're to eat differently, think differently, act differently so that the nations would see you are different and the difference between you and them is great, but how much greater is the difference between a holy God and a sinful people? See, instead, they, they, they looked at the laws and said, oh, we can do this, let's add more. Let's add more so that we keep creating our own religion and feel better than other people because we're making up our own rules and then beating people with it. Jesus is saying, no, I came to get the lost sheep because they don't realize only Christ can heal them. Only Christ can pay for them. Only Christ can lead them. And so how does God say that he will bring the lost sheep back? You look through the Old Testament to feed them with the word of God. What does he tell Peter? Feed my sheep. If we do not know what the word of God says, we will be just as lost and just as angry as Israel was. See, there's, there's two things happening in our culture right now that make it even more abundantly clear that the scriptures need to be held up. One is the culture trying to rewrite God's design, but two is the church. There are churches. There are churches not teaching the word of God, leading the people astray so they don't have to deal with conflict, so they can receive the praise of man, so that they don't lose their 501c3 status. There's all of these things. Jesus is fulfilling the mission. Teach them the word of God. The plan has always been to all of the nations, but through a group of people. And so it's so important you see that. This is why now the apostles are being start, starting to be sent out. And they're being sent out to share the good news of Jesus. And he starts with Israel. And what you'll see later on is Israel rejects him. 
And then Matthew 28, God sends them out to the Gentiles. He sends them out to that next layer. He establishes the church. And the church is to do the same thing Israel to do, reach the nations with the good news, Christ crucified. Every tribe, every nation, every time period, receive the good news. Now, what's also important about this, and this will help us transition to our next point, is that when you read this, this is part of people not reading their Bibles. We are not apostles. Who does Jesus send out in Matthew chapter 28? Disciples, go make disciples of all nations. Here's what you have to understand. The miracles done by Jesus and the miracles done by the apostles served a unique purpose. They authenticated the message of Christ. He is the son of God. Because he's saying, hey, I can forgive your sins. Like who can say that? One who can heal. One who can cure illnesses. One who knows the thoughts of man. One who can calm the storm one who can rise the dead. And it's like, oh, you are different. So the apostles are given this ability to authenticate their message that Jesus is the Messiah. Like, well, where are you pulling all this from? Look at your New Testament. The apostles no longer function in the same way once you see the establishment of the church. The message has been authenticated. Christ has been resurrected. The words have been written. It's set in stone. Think of this, Paul has an affliction that he can't heal. Timothy has an ailment he can't heal. Epaphroditus has an ailment that he can't heal. But when you're in the book of Acts, when they walk down the road, the shadow, just the mere shadow, heals them. Okay. It was used for a time to establish the church. Why is this important? Because you will be manipulated and taught false doctrine that the Holy Spirit is this genie that can turn you into a super weapon for mass destruction against evil. And that when you try to heal someone, if you don't heal them, it's because you lacked faith. You didn't believe enough, or you didn't give enough money, or you have too much sin in your life. People in the church will teach that, and then you feel like an insuperior, unsuperior Christian, like you're inferior. You see that in Paul's ministry in 2 Corinthians. They're attacking him. It's important you know what does the scripture say? He communicates through his word and he sustains us through his spirit. That's the second part of this. It's that God sustains us through his spirit. And the Holy Spirit's not a genie. The Holy Spirit's not something magical. It's there to help us. It's to help us love him, listen to him, wrestle with him, help us understand the word of God, this is how you see the disciples. God's helping them understand their mission and their purpose. And there's going to be times when we cry out like them, why is this guy in charge? And why is there this evil? And why are the children being attacked? And why? And why? And why? The Holy Spirit is there to comfort you, help you trust, help you love, help you obey. The Holy Spirit is that relational tool God gives us to be connected to him. You're like, well, that sounds like a stretch pastor. Let's look at Psalm 51. What is, what is David crying out in his sinfulness? Cast me not away from your presence and take not your Holy Spirit from me. The Holy Spirit is to help us in this mission to preach the good news. Because us, like 
the apostles here were going to be rejected, unloved, hated, mocked, laughed at, rebuked, criticized, brought before courts. All of these things will happen to us, and the Holy Spirit is there to be that comforter, to help us sing in jail the way Paul sings in jail, to sing in the midst of cancer, to sing in the midst of divorce, that God is good and he loves me and he died for me and that Holy Spirit is there to comfort me. Even when you're sinning, that's why I said divorce. If you're in that, it's like, hey, I still love you. You know, I still love you. I'm still with you. So the Holy Spirit is a huge part of this. And it's important to see because of the Holy Spirit is to remind us, look at, look at verse 14 and 15. He says he's going to judge them and that judgment it, it was better for Sodom and Gomorrah than the people who rejected Jesus. We can trust that God will do the judging. We don't have to be the Holy Spirit in people's lives. We don't have to run out and tell them and call them out and tell them and beat them with these rules we've made. What are we supposed to do? Share the good news of the kingdom. Hey, Christian, man, God loves you. Christ died for you. What are you doing? Let's not do that. That's not how we act. That's not why Christ died. It's not saying that you can't even care about your country. You can't care about your voting. But how does Jesus, what does he do with the disciples? He doesn't tell them to storm and overthrow Tiberius. He tells them to share the good news of the kingdom. And he says, don't worry about all the opposition. I will judge all that opposition. So the Holy Spirit there is to help us in our cause and in our mission. Even as we encounter weird things like, look at verse four, Judas. What's Judas doing as a part of the 12? Why is he there? Well, you gotta look at Genesis, right? Joseph says, what you meant for evil God meant for good. That God can use evil people and evil circumstances for your good and his glory. And the Holy Spirit's to help remind you of that, to help you overcome those obstacles, to draw you back to the word of God. And that we play a role being sent out as well. But it's important to know we're not apostles, we're not Jesus. You're like, Eric, you're making this stuff up. No, let's go to Ephesians chapter two. Look at verse 20. I want you to see this. God structures it in a way. He's working his plan from the beginning to the end, exactly like he said he would. Built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. I'm gonna be honest with you guys. I can barely fix a light bulb, but I get this, okay? What I'm trying to tell you is I'm not a builder, but I've been to Mexico enough times to build houses to know you don't build the house until the foundation's set. You can't build on a shifting foundation. What am I trying to say? The apostles in Christ presented this. It's finished, it's set. The church is built on that foundation. We are not apostles. We are disciples who are given the Holy Spirit to teach the trustworthy word as taught, to teach all that he commanded. That's Matthew 28, right? Teach all that he commanded to all nations everywhere. So what am I trying to say? It's 
It doesn't mean you can't pray for someone who has cancer. It doesn't mean you can't pray for someone who's been in an accident. And maybe the Lord heals them. What we're saying is, if you look at the text, you just say, praise God. It doesn't mean you have the gift of healing. You see how that becomes problematic? You think you're a healer? You think you speak the words of God, new scripture, new foundation? You have a new truth? You have a new way? You're changing the word of God? Say, no, this foundation is set. Christ, the apostles, boom, inaugurated the church, started the church. Now the word of God is there to stand on its own. And the Holy Spirit will help you, remind you, teach you. So I'm saying, go to the Lord, pray for lost people, pray for people to be healed, pray for people to know Christ, pray for God to intervene in people's lives. But when God answers that prayer, it's not because you're special. It's because you were faithful. And sometimes God says yes, and sometimes God says no. You're going to read more in the Gospels where they leave people in need. You're going to look at Acts. What if you didn't get that sick person in the alleyway to touch the, the walking path of Peter or Paul? Not everyone gets healed. But that's why it's important to understand The blessing isn't the healing. The blessing is Jesus Christ. Payment of our sin, Christ crucified. Behold the lamb, take away the sins of the world. That's the blessing we're to take everywhere. And we're to do that with the aid and assistance of the Holy Spirit. Helps us pray. And when we're sinning, it convicts us of our sin. Like you ever just got extremely guilty for something really dumb, like littering or something? You're like, why do I feel so bad? It's the Holy Spirit saying you've been set apart. You've been purchased. You've been loved by the Father. You're not to do that. You're to, that's that Holy Spirit helper. And it's saying that you look in the Old Testament, that's the Holy Spirit's there. It's like he rushed upon him. And it's there to help us and equip us. And when you feel down and out and insignificant and like life's hurting you, You can identify with the apostles here. They're in a government they don't like. They're they're, they're in a situation they don't want to be in. And Jesus is saying the solution is not what they want. They want the kingdom right there, right then, right now. He's like, no, 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 no. Go out and share the good news that Christ will be the payment for their sins. That's the same thing we have to do. It might get terribly worse here in America, in California, in Bakersfield. And the mission is still the same, to preach the good news to ourselves, to our family, and to all the nations. Some will receive it. Some will reject it. Those who reject it, God will will deal with. That's why our third point, God judges through his son. And God judges through his son. That's part of the plan. God communicates through his word, helps through his spirit, finalizes it through his son. Now, there's there's a push-pull here. It's really scary and it's really comforting. Why is it really comforting? It should be comforting that it's not our job to save people. Can you imagine going around living, thinking if I just would have said five words instead of four, if I would have stayed 10 minutes instead of five, if I would have just told the worship team to sing one more song, I could have saved them. Do we want that pressure? Maybe you guys do. I don't. I don't. I praise God that's not my decision. That's his. 
The other part now, the, the, the scary part, is that this judgment is real. And so knowing that, how are we spending our time? Don't go here. Don't go there. Look at this politician. Look at this. We're blasting and communicating, and we have all this angst and energy. And all that angst and energy is towards something that's very temporal. Instead of all this angst and energy towards people are going to hell and they need Christ. That doesn't mean you can't care about your country and you can't vote. But who gets the supremacy? Should it not be Jesus? And this is what the disciples are starting to learn. Jesus is like, we're not going to address the government. We're not going to fix the corruption. We're going to preach the good news. Some will be saved and some won't. Some will betray you. Some will hate you and beat you and persecute you. Woe to them. For them, it's worse than Sodom and Gomorrah. Stay the course. Stay the course. And so from that perspective, this is why it's very, very comforting. This, this passage is relying for us to do a lot of deductive reasoning, okay? But what you can deduce from the text is you have people who are in angst, who want things to change, and God tells them, stick to the plan. From Genesis chapter three, I'm gonna crush the snake. I'm gonna take away the sins and you're gonna share it to the nations. Stick to the script. Control what you can control, which is your response to Jesus. You can respond to Jesus in the same way the disciples do. They go out, they knock on doors, they ask, they teach, they preach, they get rejected. And this is where now you look at the spiritual blessings that are ours. You look at Ephesians chapter one, it says you have every spiritual blessing you need. What is that? It's when you share Christ with someone and they move from sinner that is unsaved, child of wrath to child of God, you get to see the transformation in their life. You get to see them trusting the Savior. You get to see the addiction go away. You get to see hope in hard circumstances. You get to see faithfulness in an unfaithful society. You get to see the work of Christ ever before you. That's your blessing. And you might never see the government turn, and you might never see the economy turn, and you might never see that parent that wronged you and hurts you. But you can rest knowing that God will judge all things through Christ. You don't have to worry about that. We don't have to try to be the Holy Spirit to an ungodly world. It's our job not to change them, but to share with them the work of Christ on their behalf. And that he is the only way, the only way to be with the Father. It's to receive the payment of the Son by faith for your sins. And then live that out in accordance. You see, I know sometimes we come in here and you're hoping we'll hammer certain things. But the reality is we can only hammer what God hammers. And he did not want to change Rome. He did not. He said, you're going to stay here. You're going to preach and you're going to be crucified and you're going to be persecuted. See, God has this thing he likes to do all throughout the Bible. He takes weak people and he uses them for his glory and your good. Why weak people? Think of David and think of Saul. 
What's one easy kind of analogy to understand? Saul, the first king, he's tall, he's handsome, and he's a warrior. And he's going out and fighting their battles and the people are beginning to trust Saul and not God. Saul's beginning to trust himself and not the Lord. Then you look at David, he's a 12-year-old with a slingshot. He doesn't have any military experience. He doesn't have any strength. He doesn't have a superior weapon. So when he defeats Goliath, who gets the glory? To God be the glory. Only God could do a work like that. See, so as you feel insignificant and small and unable, you're in the company of the disciples. You're in the company of the apostles. You're in the company of Paul. That through their weakness, Christ's power was made known to everyone. And you get to stand in comfort knowing to live as Christ and to die as gain, that there's nothing better than to be with Jesus. This is what Paul tries to tell anyone everywhere at any time, that the greatest thing you could do is follow Jesus. The government, God will work all of that out. He'll, he'll judge it all. The evil you're seeing, God will judge it all. Quit fighting and making a mockery of Christianity through our poor attitude and sinful behavior. Rather, share with them the kingdom of heaven. It's here. Jesus has paid for the sin, and you need to know that, and decide that, and follow that. It's no good to live on a great earth if your end point is hell. At least we had a great democracy. I don't think that's the story we want to preach, is it? No, Christ crucified. Only way to God through the Son. This is the beginning of the disciples now being sent out to fulfill the mission. And it's not what they necessarily want to do. But they're following the king and they trust him. So they go and they do as he says. And the more time they spend with him, the more they realize this is a better plan. This is a better way. And you see them fall in love with Jesus more and more to the point where they say, they don't even care about being here. They just want to be with Jesus. Jesus is in heaven. I want to be in heaven. That should encourage all of us. God keeps his promise. God communicates to us. God helps us. And God will judge for us. What we need to do is be faithful. Okay, some questions for us to walk through. What is God's plan for humanity from Genesis to Revelation? Okay. To redeem his people through his son, through the payment of his son. All people, all generations, all nations. In Bakersfield, California, United States, right? Africa, you know, Middle East, all of it, all of it, all of it. Through his son, with the help of the spirit, right? Two, what are the roles of Jesus, the Holy Spirit, and the church? Jesus is in charge. Right? He gives the marching orders. The Holy Spirit helps us execute the marching orders. And the church is to submit to the order of Christ, not just the king, but also the husband. We're the bride of Christ. Ephesians 5, we're to submit to the authority, the headship of Christ. And he says over and over again, obey my commandments. If you love me, you'll obey my commandments. How do you know his commandments? You read his word. How do you obey what you read? You prayerfully ask the Holy Spirit to help you obey what you read. Then you bear fruit, and then you share to the nations. Three, what promises did God make to Israel, and why do they matter? I'll give you a hint. When you talk to a Jew, one of the things they'll, they'll have issue with a Christian 
is if you don't think God will keep his promises to Israel, why do you think God would keep his promises to the church and to the Gentiles? It's a fair question, isn't it? So it's important you look through. What does God say in Genesis 3, Genesis 12, Genesis 15? What does he say in 2 Chronicles or 2 Samuel 7? What does he say in Isaiah 9 and Isaiah 11? What does he say to Israel? Because at the end, at the end, Acts 1, 6 through 8, you read it. Jesus has been resurrected. He's given the final commission. They go, is now the time to restore the kingdom? He says, that's for the Father. The Father knows when. And God keeps his word. God keeps his promises. That's important. Four, how does God sustain his people and their mission to make disciples of all nations? This is why it's so important. Read your Bible. Read your Bible. What does the Holy Spirit help? It helps give us wisdom, courage, repent of sins, have discernment, pray when we don't know what to pray, understand the Bible when we don't know how to understand it. God has given us a helper to execute and carry out this mission. Four, how does God sustain his people in his mission to make disciples of all nations? Well, God raises up some people to give and some people to send. But he calls everyone to share. Whether that's, you know, just with your kids, your Deuteronomy 6, you're teaching them the ways of the Lord, you're discipling them. It's to your extended family, to your neighbor, to the people you're around all week, either at work or sports, whatever that is. God sustains us in the midst of the Judas in our life, in the midst of people shutting the door. And he says, I will deal with them. Just keep sharing. The Holy Spirit's there to help you. The word of God's there to guide you and direct you. And the church is to do, that, do it with you. Last one, five. How should knowing that Jesus will judge those who reject him affect your daily life? Two things, we'll go back to it. It should comfort you greatly that it's not our job to save people. Okay, it's our job to share. It's our job to share. That should comfort you. And then the second part is it should motivate you. Because what's going on in the world fails in comparison to what's going on in hell. People need Jesus far more than they need anything else, more than they need debt relief, more than they need a bill to pass, more than they need cancer to be healed, more than they need fill in the blank, bank account to be filled. They need Jesus, the one who came to take away the sins of the world. So Christian, here's the conclusion, is that as the disciples sat in political unrest, and a narrative that they did not like. They were sent out in the midst of that chaos to share the good news of Christ as the solution to their problems. We were invited into that very same process. What is true for them is true for us. Christ crucified is what we need. Jesus, the way to God, is what we need. Jesus, the payment for our sins, is what we need. It's what we have. It's why we celebrate. Amen? Let's pray. God, we love you. And uh, we thank you for Matthew chapter 10. And so there's a lot going on in the passage. Uh, my prayer is we would, what we would take from this is that you have sent us out. And we're to love and share. We're not to be superior and create new rules and beat people up with it. We're not to take away from your word and change you and ignore you. We're to teach all that you commanded, Matthew 28. We're to lift you high. We're to share of your great work. 
the work you've done in our life, the work you've done in our family's life, in our church's life, the work you've done all throughout Scripture. I pray that we would hold firm the promises that we can see that you keep your promises. You are faithful, that you never leave, you never forsake, you always forgive, that you will make all things right. You see the evil, you know the evil, and you will judge the evil. We do not have to do that. That is yours. May we give that to you and celebrate that you're a king who is in charge. You're a savior who compassionately loves us and walks with us and takes care of us who binds us up on our wounds, redirects us and says, follow me. May we have grateful hearts that that's who you are and that's what you've done. We love you and we praise you. Be with us in a time of worship. Amen.